Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, where I try to tell you quite a bit about football and just a smidgen about life. So, this week, we're at the Super Bowl in Atlanta. I'm recording this late on Monday night after the mania of media night, which is insane. And I'm going to be very get off my lawn if we get into talking about that, by the way, uh, because it's ridiculous. But anyway, let's not throw cold water let's not really put a damper on this festive time of the year one game left out of 267 the Super Bowl and we're going to preview it with the Rams general manager Les Snead also NFL Network host Scott Hansen and Mike Lombardi the former club executive with the Niners Raiders and Patriots and now an author of an insightful NFL book Gridiron Genius that the coach of the New Orleans Saints, Sean McVay, has been listening to on his way to work. But first, a few thoughts about this matchup. You know, the reason why I like this game a lot, Rams-Patriots, Super Bowl 53, Atlanta, Sunday evening, 6.30 Eastern, is because we usually don't see games with teams that don't know each other very well at all. And think about it. Sean McVay has been calling plays for five years. Three years as the Washington offensive coordinator. That's 2014, 15, 16. And then two years as the coach of the Rams. And that's 17 and 18. And in those five years, Sean McVay has played Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots one time. That was in 2015 Was he when he was in, in Washington. This almost reminds me of the old World Series in Major League Baseball. When, when you think about it, the World Series before interleague play was basically a series with two teams that didn't know each other at all. And when those teams didn't know each other at all, it created some really interesting matchups with teams that, in many cases, a pitcher was seeing a batter for the first time in his life. So I think you're going to see some really, really interesting things. Because, you know, right now, I don't think the Bill Belichick defense knows how this boy wonder, Sean McVay, is really going to play uh, offense against them. He doesn't know if he's going to try to slam C.J. Anderson, this big back against him so regularly. 
he he doesn't know if Jared Goff's going to throw it 42 times. You know, they just, the Patriots don't really know what to expect. And last year, when they didn't know what to expect very much against the Eagles, and Doug Peterson really threw some change-ups at him, it hurt the Patriots' defense. And so... Right now, I don't think New England knows exactly what they're going to do. They're preparing uh, basically for Sean McVay to do anything. And then on the other side, I think that, look, Tom Brady has seen uh, Wade Phillips a lot over the years. And uh, Wade Phillips has seen Tom Brady a lot. But I also think that a lot of the players in this game have not competed against the players on the other side very much at all. And so I view this game sort of as a game that is going to be won through study last week and during this week and a game that's going to be won simply on some athletic plays being made late in this game. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game, and I think it's going to be a game decided in the fourth quarter, much like the last two Patriots games have been decided. You know, there's one other thing that I want to discuss for a moment, and I want to just say how impressed I am with this particular factoid. So this is the third consecutive Super Bowl that Tom Brady has played in. He played in a Super Bowl two years ago when he was 39 and a half years old. And he and the Patriots rolled up over 600 yards in beating the Atlanta Falcons, coming back from a 25-point deficit, biggest comeback in Super Bowl history, and beating Atlanta. And last year, at age 40 and a half, Tom Brady threw for 505 yards against the Philadelphia Eagles and lost the game, uh, but through very little fault of Tom Brady. Uh, You know, the Eagles just went up and down the field on that Patriots defense. So this year, at 41 and a half, you've got the wise old owl, you know, Wade Phillips. You've got two big players in the secondary, especially Aqib Tlaib, who knows Tom Brady so well from having been in New England and playing with him, and who is a very underrated student of the game. Very quick story. A couple of years ago, I went into Denver to do um, a story uh, for NBC before the Giants-Broncos Sunday night game. And I rolled into the parking lot at about 6.20 a.m. Mountain Time. And there getting out of his car in the parking lot at that time was Aqib Tlaib. And he expressed surprise that I expressed surprise that, oh, my God, what are you doing here so early? And he goes, hey, I, I got to find out about, about Eli Manning and that Giants offense. I'm coming in to watch tape. So uh, Aqib Tlaib is going to be ready for this game. And then, obviously, the biggest individual matchup of this game is Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue, I guess co-individual matchup, uh, against the interior of the New England line. And I think what you're going to see Josh McDaniels and Dante Scarnecchia, the longtime line coach, do is devote three Patriots pretty consistently in the middle of that line to the uh, uh, to the effective, hopefully effective blocking for the Patriots uh, on Donald and Sue. That is going to be a huge part of this game. 
Uh, who do I like? I'm going to take the Patriots, 37-33. I think it's going to be, uh, obviously, it's going to be high scoring because I do think that both of the offensive brains in this game, Josh McDaniels for New England uh, and Sean McVay, assisted by Zach Taylor, his offensive coordinator, and the future coach of the Cincinnati Bengals uh, for the Rams, I think that both teams are playing especially New England playing very well offensively. And I think the Rams are playing well offensively right now. It's just that in New Orleans last week, it was very difficult to have a great game offensively. Uh, The noise, the Saints defense being so disruptive. But but I think think you're going to see two sharp offenses uh, play very, very well in this game on Sunday. I like the Patriots narrowly. Um, and if this happens, boy, Bill Belichick will join George Hallis and Curly Lambeau as the only two coaches in NFL history to win six championships. So I'm really looking forward to the game. I'm excited, and part of the reason I'm excited is because it is so new. This is going to be a fun, fun matchup on Sunday in Atlanta. And now my conversation from Media Night at the Super Bowl with Rams general manager Les Snead. Back on the Super Bowl edition of the Peter King Podcast, happy to be joined by Les Snead, the general manager of the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, We're standing in the bowels of State Farm Arena before media night on Monday night. And Les, I've got to ask you, it's sort of a gee whiz, almost fanish question, but have you processed yet that your Los Angeles Rams are in the Super Bowl? Probably not like it should be. I think there'll be a, a reflection moment, but it's interesting, right? You, you're well aware that, okay, that, that last game, you win that game, and wait a minute, there's a podium, and there's Terry Bradshaw, and there's a trophy, and you're moving on to the Super Bowl. So the, it's a little bit bigger than just a – uh, you know, a win in November per se, but you know, in essence, really, it uh, gets you to the next, you know, the next level of the video game, which is an opportunity to win a world championship. So you quickly get into preparing to try to accomplish that. So I think reflection will come, but there is this side of you that you go, okay, wait a minute, that was this is a bigger moment than just a regular week in November. Is it cool or is it daunting that? you're facing the greatest football team probably of your lifetime i think it i would probably go in the cool category uh but what makes them cool is probably what would make it a daunting task is it's it's a team that i mean i i mean i can't let's see i mean that they've been doing this so i don't even think any of us could put in words or describe it until you're in it and realize how hard it is uh, to get to this point once to, to think that they do it consistently. So Been there nine times this in two decades. It's just, to me, I, I think about it sometimes and I say, I, I, I'm 61 years old. I, I don't think I'll ever see this again. I, it, would, it, it would seem no way possible. Yeah. Maybe, maybe in time there's someone, but I've got you know a gut feeling I'm not on the planet. Yeah, but, but you know what is very interesting just about that? It's that 
I'm not saying your team is built to go nine times in 18 years, but you have a 33-year-old head coach. You've got a kid quarterback who's just coming into his own. And you have a you have some age on your roster. Your left tackle's old. The keep Talib's kind of old, but but you're not you're not an ancient team. I'm not saying you're going to win all those games, but but I wonder when you look at your team, you probably see this as more than a snapshot. Oh, definitely. And I think if you look at their calculus equation of of doing it, their head coach, their quarterback. Uh, have been doing it together a long time. So there are big variables in that calculus equation, and and they probably are a team you can go back and look at in that right now we have a, a young core that's in a very important part of this this uh, this season and, and is what you say can help keep us consistent. But when they're the model to look at, okay, as the quarterback, as the head coach, Keep evolving, keep growing. Uh, you're going to have to, you're going to have to always constantly change the parts around them, adapt to the rest of the league, things like that. So, but you're right with having a young head coach at the top of uh, his particular game and a quarterback that's at the top of his particular game is a big variables in that. You know, I kind of look at Bill Belichick when he was defensive coordinator for the Giants. They won the Super Bowl and beat Denver. In January of 87, Bill Belichick was 34 years old, and his game plan was widely credited for stuffing John Elway and shut, you know, shutting him down that day. And now you've got a 33-year-old head coach who essentially is kind of doing the same thing, both on the offensive side of the ball and overall. You see any parallels to their two careers? I definitely – here's what I do know, and I, and I, and I can't – I've never worked for Bill or with him, know people intimately who have. What I do know, here's the similarities for sure. They're very, very intelligent. They'd probably be successful at many other things besides football. They might be miserable doing anything else besides football. They use that intelligence to try to figure out the best way to attack an opponent and and beat that opponent and it, it's fascinating to see those type individuals work that's definitely i think the similarities and they might have different genres and they're of different ages now but i know this they're both very very smart they use their intelligence to you know figure out creative game plans and they're extremely passionate about doing it Les, what have you learned about the building of a franchise from the last two years since Sean McVay has gotten here that you believe has really helped you guys get to this day, get to this well, moment? It's interesting because I, I think the good part about the you know this franchise is we did have a young core. We did have Jared Goff. We had made a move to try to solidify the QB position and and get someone that you know is a I call it a a quarterback that you can contend with. We we had Aaron Donald, one of the better defensive players, you know, Todd Gurley. So what is interesting is what I did learn a little bit and that comes from a little bit of the the Patriot way of working with Thomas Dimitrov is is okay, build through the draft, but supplement through all the other methods of player acquisition. Uh to help you basically 
improve upon the last time you were out. So what going back to when we hired Sean, take the obviously had to hire a very good head coach. Obviously had that head coach had to create an environment where where the quarterback Jared in this case could thrive. But at the end of the day, from then on, we needed to improve the offense, not forget about the defense. And then coming into this year, we wanted to improve upon the breakthrough uh, that we did have last year. And and from there leads to the acquisitions that we did. When you guys decided to hire such a young football coach two years ago, it looked like everybody was totally on board. But after you guys did it, deep down, were you saying, holy crap, this is a risk? Well, I think it's interesting because, and this is in all honesty, I think I think the whole this is a risk part of that formula, That, that those thoughts maybe uh, occurred before you pulled the trigger. It didn't take long for you to research Sean, sit down with Sean and go, okay, wait a minute. I don't think age has anything to do with this equation. And at that point, we were actually jacked, like we mentioned earlier, that, okay, wait a minute, we could actually have a young head coach and a young QB grow together. Because it's, let's take from every time we sat down and sh- with Sean, every time Stan sat down with Sean till the, till the opening. Stan Kroenke, your yeah. owner, yeah. Yes. He nailed it. He exceeded expectations. I remember the his first press conference. I remember my first press conference as a GM. You're nervous, right? You you think you can do this. You've seen other people do it. Now all of a sudden you got a microphone in your hand and <laughs> you're shaking. Yeah. Uh, it's just natural. You come out of it going, okay, I don't want to watch that one. They'll they'll probably get better. But it seems like from that moment on, every every from that press conference to every decision, he just exceeded expectations. So I don't think the risk. Uh, because of age ever entered our minds after that. How do you think this game plays out? It's hard to predict now just because, you know, it's it's two. At this point in time, there's two really good football teams that And there are, are two hot. teams that haven't played each other in a while. Yeah. Sean has been a play caller for five years now, three years as offensive coordinator, two years as head coach. Yeah. He's only played Belichick one time, and that was th- three years ago uh, at Foxborough. And, Washington got killed that day, but it's almost like there's a, it's the old in the World Series when the American League team would meet the National League team and they had never seen each other. They had never played each other. I kind of have that feel that you guys, there's so much new between the Rams and the Patriots that there is this expectation of, I don't know what's going to happen. It's true. I mean, and, and it's interesting, right? When you play a Bill Belichick team, you you certainly don't know what to spec, expect, and you probably shouldn't because they may have done something last week or two weeks ago that they're not going to do this week. I'm going to ask you one other thing. Jared Goff, a month or so ago, you guys lost to the Bears and you lost at home to the Eagles. It was shaky on offense. And last week, he goes into the Superdome, and he outplays Drew Brees, not being able to hear a thing the entire day. So, A, a little surprised at that. B, what did you see in Jared Goff, you know, maybe three years ago that the rest of the world didn't see? Well, three years ago, what, here's what I, in simplistic terms, when we did work with Jared, you, you, just, you just felt 
and saw this guy that was born to pass the football, born to play QB, uh, knew how to relate to an entire locker room, uh, had taken a program uh, like Cal. Didn't, they didn't compete for national championships, but you know what? They, they had as good a run as they've had in a while. So those are things that translate to the NFL. What you did know is uh, because of the system he was coming from, there was an element of blank slate in terms of NFL football, and it was going to take good mentorship, good coaching, all of those things to to help him thrive. But at the end of the day, we said all really, really good NFL QBs who – can put a franchise on their back and contend, they can usually do one thing right, and that's pass the football. And and when I say pass, that's more than just throwing. That's more than just yeah. a strong arm. There's nuances to maneuvering in the pocket, f- being able to throw from bad angles like you saw last week in in the overtime period right. when he was rushed and he was able to th- – you know, there's nuances to passing the football, getting in rhythm, uh, moving the chains. What I think is so interesting about him is that that was the biggest game of his life last weekend. And A, not only wasn't it too big, but he played great. I mean, that that just, that really, really was an impressive performance, at least I thought. And that's, going back to when we drafted him and researched him, what you did know is uh, yesterday's mistakes usually don't affect him by that. They don't linger. And, and he's so poised that his heart rate doesn't get too high, even in the big moments, always related to he, – he's like that golfer that in his first major, walking up 18th, uh, you know, when he's got the four-foot par putt to win it, it doesn't – the hole doesn't get smaller and, yeah. the, and, the, and the foot – the feet doesn't become yards. But in that moment last week, that would have been normal for it to happen, and, and he did some probably improbable things, all things considered. Les Need, have a great week in Atlanta. Good luck on Sunday. There's only one way for it to be great, Peter. We know how (laughs) the result of the game. Yeah, it has to turn out right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Can I tell you about my new favorite thing at home? It's my new Sonos Beam. It's really changed how we listen to TV and podcasts and music. It's really, really good. Sonos Beam is the smart, compact soundbar for my TV and the newest addition to my home sound system. It plays everything I love. There's so much to enjoy. Sonos supports over 100 streaming services. I can even use AirPlay to listen to music and to my favorite shows from the iPhone or iPad. Not only does it have all the streaming I need, but wait till you listen. The sound is brilliant. Using my Beam fills my living room with such great sound. I can enjoy detailed stereo separation for music, plus crystal clear dialogue for TV and movies. And I can't believe how easy it was to set up. I bet it took 10-12 minutes, max. There's no crazy wiring. The Beam connected to my TV with just one cord, and it syncs up with my remote. Even better... The Sonos app made it so easy to set up. And here's something I wasn't expecting. Amazon Alexa is built in. I get all the benefits of having Alexa, and now I even have hands-free control of my music. I can even use my voice to turn the TV on or off and adjust the volume. 
How great is that? So go get your Sonos today. Don't wait. Don't you want to listen to music in one room and the Peter King podcast in another? Or just send sound from your TV everywhere so you never miss a second of the action. Create the ultimate entertainment center with your Beam. Sonos Beam. Go online to get yours today. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard, so is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now my conversation with Scott Hansen of NFL Network. Back on the Peter King Podcast. Very, very happy to be joined by the czar of the red zone, uh-huh. uh, Scott Hansen of NFL Network. And Scott, I was cursing you last night. Oh, really? As we uh, record this at your hotel in Atlanta before okay. the Super Bowl. Yep. It's Tuesday morning, late morning. And last night was media day. And every time I started to get a good line of questioning in with Wade Phillips, all of a sudden, here comes the voice of I, God, Scott Hansen, oh. in the old Phillips arena. And, and everybody, I'm straining to hear Wade Phillips. And I just said, maybe we ought to next year work on, the, uh, work on having the interviews in the building done at the same time where we're trying to, where TV is going on. But okay, anyway. Peter, I'm glad yeah. you brought that up because so many media members, the five 5,000 credentialed media members that are here in Atlanta probably listen to your podcast. I apologize to everyone. <laughs> However, it was not my call. I know it, it was wasn't. not my fault. We were supposed to be just with an earpiece, like to the audience, with the personal radios they hand yeah. out. One minute before we start, they tell me, we're going to keep you on in the speakers. Like the producers loved what I was doing. And I'm like, guys, the working media is here and they don't want to hear my voice. In fact, Sports Center on ESPN ran a soundbite last night of someone asking Belichick a question and you hear my voice going, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Tom Brady. And Belichick <laughs> smiles that Belichick grimace and kind of rolls his eyes. So I apologize if I messed it's up anyone's all, work. It's yesterday. all fine. You know why it's all good? Because I realized that it used to be, you know, this was my whatever, 35th Super Bowl, or this is my, and it used to be that the media night would be for members like me, would be for members at the time uh, writing my story live for the Cincinnati Inquirer that night. And there are very few people there who have got to write on deadline for a newspaper the next day. Mm. So the fact is, times have changed. The NFL wants... 
uh, the showbiz aspect. They want entertainment tonight to cover this. They want the funny stuff. And look, I'm not going to be this 61-year-old curmudgeon to say this is stupid. It's the way life is. Yeah. I don't, that's It's fine with me. Yeah. But it's just that I really wanted to hear what Wade Phillips said last oh. night, but I couldn't. <laughs> oh, I will pass anyway. it along for next year, Peter. Yeah, it's, no, listen, listen, it's all good. All right, so, Scott... I have wanted to talk to you really all season, and I saw you last night, and I said, you know, I've I've already got two guests this week on my podcast, but I've got about an 18-minute place in my podcast, and I just, I didn't want the season to pass without saying a couple of things. Most of my Sundays are spent in my uh, home office on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and at 12.59, I don't watch any of the pregame shows. I am basically get up at about 7.30. I go to Soul Cycle in New York. <laughs> and I get back, I shower, and I sit down and I start writing because I got a lot to write before sure. the games. So And so I don't watch any of the pregame shows. And at about 12.59, I have a little beep on my phone. And at 12.59, and then I put it on channel 835 oh, wow. of my uh, TV. Yeah. I think it's Verizon Fios in New York, Channel 835. It's the red zone. The little countdown clock is going, 17, 16, 15, and and here you come. And the only reason, like, so I never thought I would be this kind of guy who would want to take little bite-sized snapshots of games. I thought that I was going to want to be all in on the drama of everything. And there are games that I am. There are games that I do not – there are – time periods, both at 1 o'clock and 4.25 Eastern time, that I eschew the red zone and I am just watching a game yep. all in. Yep. But the vast majority, I've said that happened maybe three times this year, the vast majority I'm watching you. And the reason why I really like watching you is that you have a great knack at immediately putting things in perspective. Mm, thank you. And basically understanding the meaning of what just happened and taking a little bit of the long view of what just happened. Well, okay, you're seeing more and more of Lamar Jackson. What is this going to mean for the future of Joe Flacco? Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. I just remember little snippets. And you do a good job at that, which is very good for me to hear because I don't want to just watch a game and report on what everybody just saw. Yep. I want to watch a game and report on what this kind of means. Give me your view on you've got seven hours to try to be cogent. Give me your view on that. And part of it, I'm just going to preface this by saying part of it, in my opinion, you have to have a heck of a staff. Oh, yes. To basically keep you apprised of this is happening here and here's what is going on and here's the meaning of it, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, go ahead. Uh, I, I would just say this. First of all, thank you for your trust, quite frankly. Yeah. You, you, you could – you have – you said we're 800 and something on your channel now. You yeah. have 800 and some choices <laughs> at 1 yeah. o'clock. Now you're a football guy. You're going to be watching the NFL. But everyone has – hundreds and hundreds of choices on their television. When they stop on us, the NFL Red Zone staff and I take that very serious. Whether you are uh, you know, a, a Hall of Fame broadcaster or writer or someone that follows football, Tom Brady tells me he watches Red Zone when he's playing on Thursday night football or Monday night or on the bye week. We take that very seriously, and we take that seriously for our audience. Our staff, let me just put out a couple names if I can. Our coordinating producer, Alan Flowers, our 
producers Brian Nettles, Ryan Yunt, our director J.D. Hansen, no, no relation to Scott Hansen, but J.D. Hansen, we, here's what we do. We say, guys, people are going to talk about what happens today for the rest of the week. Let there be nothing that anyone talks about on Monday afternoon. Go by us Sunday live or 10 seconds after it happens. Our audience needs to see it. That is our mandate. And to go back to the context or perspective that I try to add to it, what are we going to be talking about is Pat Mahomes is the new, I mean, yeah, he's the hot kid that all we knew about Pat Mahomes going into the season was Andy Reid trusted him enough to give him the keys to the Ferrari. Okay. Well, what, what did he see in practice that would, that would allow them to take a consistent playoff performing level quarterback in Alex Smith and say, Hey, go find a different place. And we started seeing it in the first three weeks, four weeks of the season. What did we see when a Super Bowl winning quarterback in Joe Flacco was now, it wasn't an injury anymore, that Harbaugh decided, nope, Lamar Jackson is our future. And we're going to not only change quarterbacks, we're changing the whole dynamic of the offense and really, in a certain respect, the dynamic of our team. These are shifts in. There were seismic shifts this year. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the Sean McVay offense in its second year making it all the way this far. So I try and add not only, hey, that was a 50-yard touchdown, but what does this mean and what do we think it means? Because part of the romance of sports and our, our favorite sport, the greatest sport, probably the greatest form of entertainment in our country is NFL football. It's part of the romance of it is not only what is happening, but what could the future be like? Yeah. What does what this well, mean? Well, because when you think about it, Scott, what do, it did, it's not happening now, but for years, the Cleveland Browns fans, mm. who are some of the most passionate fans in the world, starting on about October 30th, they're interested in the draft next year or free agency next year or who's going to be our coach next year. So a lot of it isn't just this desultory game that we might be watching right now. It's what all of it means for the future. Totally agree. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought up the Browns example because I do not have a favorite NFL team. There is no one in Atlanta, Georgia for Super Bowl week that loves football more than I do. And yet I do not have a single favorite team. You're kind of a so, millennial fan in some ways. You know why? Because kids today, I think, if you go into a park in the Upper West Side of Manhattan, I guarantee you if you see a flag football game being played and you ask all the kids to wear the jersey of their yeah. favorite player, th- there would be very few. There might be some Odells, but I think there'd be very few Giants and Jets. Mm. I think they would be winning players from winning teams. Yeah, or people are interested in their fantasy uh, yeah. Yeah, football team because yeah. that is my favorite team the iron bladders my, my fantasy <laughs> football team uh, that is the greatest name of a fantasy team of all time yeah it, yeah well thank you it didn't it my whole public persona is boiled down to the guy who doesn't take a leak for seven hours on sunday which is true by the way for any of your listeners who are, are checking this out and they say now that's a myth or whatever i've taken one bathroom break in f- the last five plus years of doing red zone what happened so it's seven hours i had a ski accident. I went skiing that week and I, I fell on my, I fell awkwardly hit my ribs yeah. and I was playing hurt that day. And I overhydrated before the show to trying just to get my body right. Yeah. I'm not trying to make an excuse, but yeah, that is the yeah. reason. Because when I, I said my microphone is always open to the control room. You guys at home don't always hear me, but I'm always talking to the control room. And I said to my producer, uh, Ryan Yunt, Yunty, his nickname, I said, Yunty. He's like, yes. Yeah. I go, 
I got to take a bathroom break. And I hear the control room go, oh, like that. Like, I couldn't believe yeah. so the streak was over. So what did you do? What happened so in that period they, of time? They shut my mic down. We crossed our fingers that we would get like a nice 12-play drive of whatever yeah. we were. There's a bathroom about 20 steps outside of the studio door that I have to walk out. And I was there and back in less than two minutes. I think they had to cut to a game uh, real quickly. Yeah. But, but there was nothing... Yeah. galactic that happened but I still had my IFB my earpiece so I could still hear the games going on yeah. and I'm walking down the hall going quick as I can going please no touchdowns no touchdowns yeah. no touchdowns you know like that so Scott yeah. why is it that America Brian Rolop who's the NFL uh, broadcasting yep. czar um, told me I don't know maybe a year ago when we were talking that it's about a million people on average per day Sunday that watch you on the Red Zone channel. To me, I don't know, that seems low. It really seems low, but I understand why the NFL would want that to be the number because they want the games to, you know, Fox and CBS to get the ratings. So it's got to be kind of a Fox and CBS because we're using the broadcast signals that originate, obviously, from yeah. the from the stadiums. So they're, we're all in partnership with each other. You, you're exactly right. You don't want to cannibalize the golden goose. Yeah. Boy, I mixed a couple metaphors there, <laughs> didn't I? I, I? But you want to make a product that serves an audience that has a particular appetite. And these days, man, you know what it is. It's that I want the 10,000 foot view. I want the fat trimmed off the game. I want it right now. I want it immediate and boom. But do you think that people who are watching are like me, they're just, well, I mean, I'm a little bit different, but I'm basically a football fan. Yeah. Although I have fantasy football teams, they are against my will. And uh, I don't pay any attention. I don't invest any right. time in them. Uh, I just sort of have to do it. Is that an for excuse various... for finishing last in your league? Yes. Peter? You I can finish... confess this right hey, now. Hey, listen, if my, that's, the best you thing know... was two years ago, I was in my daughter's league. She lives in Seattle. There were nine women in the league. Yep. Okay. And there are three men. And there's 12 teams in the league, and I was ninth. Out of and I there. guarantee you, yeah. eight of them are texting each other saying, I crushed I, Peter yeah, King yeah, in, well, my, in my fantasy yeah, league. And, he knows nothing. I, and and that is, that's one of the reasons why I, I think fantasy football, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I, I don't have anything against it yeah. other than to be really good at it. You have to be incredibly focused on some of the parts of the game that I'm not focused on, yeah. which is Sunday night at eight o'clock. Hurry up and put waiver claims <laughs> yep. in and all that stuff. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even yep. think about my fantasy team until Thursday at noon. Yeah. Wait, I mean, so I, I don't. I, so I don't. I have other things in my life to do. Yeah. But anyway. But you recognize it, you recognize it for a huge yeah. segment of society yeah, yeah. that but, is big. But yeah. I'm. But in my opinion, the thing that is so much fun about it is that it's electric. Here, here let me describe it's it exciting. this way. Uh, you're a movie fan, right? Yeah. Like movies. When you go to the movies, if you watch an action movie, the best action movies don't have straight action and explosions and people jumping off this and that for two straight hours. Right. What they have is that moment, that tension that every moment during that two hours or however long the movie is, that the great action is right around the corner, yeah. that it's coming. Yeah. And then when it does hit, it delivers. And I think NFL Red Zone, we like to build that type of drama and suspense. How about, I, I got to remember what week it was, but you had one week, I ended up right in the top of my column about it, uh, was so 
incredible for the last 20 minutes of that game. Why am I drawing a blank on it? But there are some weeks where the le- where the it's early 645 window. on yep. the East Coast, oh. and all of a sudden, well, this happened to be. This was the late this window? This was a late okay. window, yeah. There were three or four games happening. That and were every one cold. of them was yeah. a, yeah. It was fun. But that's when it's really, to me, that's when it's a tremendous amount of fun when you're just going. And, yeah. and you know, seasons are on the line. Yeah. And then you go to the next game where there's a season on yeah. the line. Yeah. Well, uh, do you remember? I mean, you're a sports fan, not just a, a football guy. Uh, the way they used to cover March Madness before, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. before now there's four networks that carry right. games constantly on the, on the CBS family of networks for March Madness. They used to have – big CBS was the only – television station you would watch for March Madness yeah and so they would say hey we know we're showing you the Duke game right now but the Virginia game is happening here and the Michigan game is yeah. coming down to the wire and UCLA is in a one-point game with two minutes left to go and they would bounce you around that's why people would take work off yeah those first two Thursdays and Fridays because they would have those manic moments yes, like that we live for that as yeah. sports fans yeah. and, and there's still not the same feel if because look at what what NFL Network does at 11 o'clock at night on, on Sunday, what ESPN does and a number of other outlets, NBC Sports Network does, the highlight shows are great, but we do know, okay, well, this has already happened. Yeah. This has already yeah. happened. And, and now in today's microwave society, uh-uh, I want it now. I, I want, want it live. I want to know in our remaining three minutes, Yep. I want to know, you told me, Tom Brady, tell me what players say to you about the red zone and tell me players who've talked to you and say, Hey man, I really love watching that or whatever. Tell me, tell me one or two okay. stories about guys. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you okay, kind of a funny one. Well, Tom Brady. So three straight years now, Tom Brady and the Patriots have made it to the Super Bowl. Yeah. One of my duties here at the Super Bowl is to introduce the captains to the national TV audience when they come on the field or right. come on the stage to shake hands on opening night. All three years now, Brady has come over to me and said, there he is, the host of my favorite program. Yeah. He's like, he comes over to me, last night he comes over to me, Scott, you had a great year. This is Tom freaking Brady. And I go, Tom, you had a great year, buddy. I'm like, meet you here next year. You know, and we kind of laughed and, yeah. and, and that. But here's a funny one. I went to, uh, you know, Jermaine Curse, wide receiver, yeah. formerly of the Seahawks with the yeah. Jets. Uh, so his wife, now wife, is a friend of mine, and they got married, so I was invited to the wedding. So I'm sitting at the wedding, and they sit me with some of his Seahawks. He was with the Seahawks at the time. Sit me with some of his Seahawks teammates. And uh, Luke Wilson, the yeah, backup the tight, tight end, end yeah. yep, he's sitting there and there were girls and guys sitting at the table and Luke shouts across the table, Hey Hanson, you got to give me more love on red zone. Like that, like, like kind of like busting my chops a little bit. I look back at him. I go, Hey Wilson, get into the end zone more and I'll, I'll, I'll give you all the love you need. So I know players are watching yeah. and, and Luke's a great guy and, and I wish him great things in his career, but it's, it's stuff like that. I know the guys are watching when they're not, uh, when they're not playing because they have to grind on game tape all the time. Right. They don't want to sit necessarily watch an entire game because it's not their team playing. If they're off, they want to see all of the best. It's it's the comprehensive look at their career, at their industry, as it happens. So if they're on Monday night football or Thursday night football or the bye week or whatever the case may be, most I don't say most, but I know tons of guys in the NFL are watching NFL Red Zone when they're not playing. How does the game play out on Sunday? Mm. 
I got to be perfectly honest. I could see multiple scenarios with either team winning. Me too. If if Sue and Donald get the pressure up the middle, that is Brady's kryptonite. And if they hit him early, Brady's the GOAT. He's the best. And you know he's going to perform at his best in this game. But if he has one little chink in the armor, he can see ghosts sometimes. If he gets hit early in a game, I do believe he drops his eyes just a little bit or his, his spider sense in the pocket gets a little overactive. And if he's not comfortable, there is no quarterback who can really dial or uh, deal when he's not comfortable. So first quarter or first half pressure up the middle, Donald and Sue, will go a long way to determine the outcome. That being said, you can you can bet on the Patriots and someday you'll be wrong. Or you can bet against the Patriots and someday you'll be right. I'm not going to do that this time. I, I think I'll take New England. Even though I predicted the Rams back in August to win well, the Super Bowl. Well, it's funny. I predicted a Rams-Patriots Super Bowl Did on you? Labor yeah, yeah. Day weekend. And I picked the Rams to win the Super Bowl 29-23. Hello. But... And I absolutely, right, when I got out of the car with McVeigh, I said, that son of a gun is winning this game. Really? You know? He is yeah, something, I man. Mean, because, because I'll tell you, Sean McVeigh in this game, I'm just telling you this right now, we're going to be talking about four plays after the game that okay. we've never seen, that the okay. Rams have never run. Just my opinion. He didn't say a word about it. I just think he's going to do what Doug Peterson did last year. Philly special and the touchdown to Ertz that won the game that the Patriots had never seen before. But, I'm, I, but okay, so I picked the Rams before, and I could easily see him winning, but I'm picking the Patriots because – and I hate to be overly ridiculously simplistic, and that's what this is. I'm not picking against that guy. That's what I'm saying. I'm not picking That's against what Brady. I'm, saying. I'm not doing it. Three third and tens on the road where you can't hear in Kansas City. Three third and tens for 15, 15, and 20. I mean, come on. It's you know, this guy is not worldly. He just he he's just really a different, different cat. And I'm not saying look, you know what I hate, Scott? I hate when people say, Oh, Michael Jordan, he's the best of all time. Nobody can be better. Yes, they can. Look at LeBron James. And maybe LeBron is not better, but why should we just think automatically that nobody's ever going to be better? Once we have our positions fixed in cement, yeah, yeah. they can't. So in other words, that's like all the guys who say that, oh, Montana, nobody could ever be better than Montana. Yes, they can. Here's a guy right here. Okay. So, well, now it's age is undefeated, and so he can't do this at 41 years old. Right. Well, well here's, the thing about, here's the thing I say about Brady. At 39 and a half, he came back from a 28-3 to deficit and had the best performance of a quarterback in a Super Bowl ever. At 40 and a half, he threw for 505 yards against the Philadelphia Eagles, and if they had half a defense, that would have been the second win in a row. Now, at 41 and a half, he put up 41 on the on the Chargers, and he threw for 377 on the road yep. in four-degree te- wind yep. chill in Kansas City. So I ain't picking against the guy, period. Patriots, 37-33. You and I are in the same boat. I predicted, like you did, Rams before the season. And if they win, I'll be happy for them. It'll be a great story. But I can't pick against Brady. There's the old Chinese proverb (laughs) that says, may you live in interesting times. We as sports fans, we we might never see anything like this again. We're not going to see this again. And and I think... Why not enjoy it? Yeah, I agree totally. Why curse these the day these guys were born? Just because you're tired of seeing them in the Super Bowl? Appreciate the greatness. That's what I've been telling people. I'm with you, Peter. Scott Hansen, thank you so much. This is a lot of fun. Have a great week. Support for the Peter King Podcast comes from Wix.com. With Wix, that's W-I-X, 
you can create your own very professional website. Choose a template you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and video. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. You want even more for your website? You can start a blog. You can launch an online store. Or you can create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. That actually would be preferable. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website. So please create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash Peter King to get 10% off. Wix.com slash Peter King. You'll be glad you did. And now my conversation with Mike Lombardi, who's written a really prescient book about life in the NFL called Gridiron Genius. A lot of stuff in there about Bill Belichick. So, Mike, what can Sean McVay learn from listening to Gridiron Genius in the books on tape version in his car on the way to work? You know, I think what what Sean can learn is the makeup of Bill Belichick, kind of what makes Bill Belichick tick, uh, how he'll prepare the team for the week. Uh, the points of emphasis that he will make sure that his team understands. And I think the whole relentless approach that Belichick takes to each single game in terms of every single aspect, offense, defense, and special teams, Belichick is not just running the defense or running the offense. He's running the entire team. And I think what Gridiron Genius talks about is how he sets up the game plan to incorporate all three phases of the game and he plays complementary football through all three phases of the game by the how they call i think one of the greatest things that that i've experienced in my life is the saturday night meetings and i talk about it quite often in gridiron genius where belichick lays out how he thinks the game will go to the coaching staff and then prepares the coaching staff for the situations in the game on Saturday night before the game so that they're fully prepared for it on Sunday. And I think that's one of the things that Sean McVay, not because he can't do it, but right now because he calls the offense and Wade Phillips calls a defense and John Fossil runs the special teams, that eventually in his development as a head coach, he will eventually get there. So much of this book centers on Bill Walsh and Bill Belichick. You you work for both of them, Mike. So... What do you think McVeigh could learn from Walsh? You know, Walsh is part of my life every single day, and he hasn't been around for, and I haven't been around him since he's passed away. And, you know, when you just go back and, and read Finding the Winning Edge or The Score Takes Care of Itself, you know, Sean indicated to you that he's read all the books on Walsh, but Walsh was more than just what you can read in the books. Walsh was creative in thought, certainly because of the way he was able to develop the West Coast offense in Cincinnati, but he was divergent in thought. I mean, really, the creativity of Walsh is really more divergent than creative because he took an existing problem like how do I move the football with the Cincinnati Bengals 
and adapted. And I think that's one of the strengths of McVeigh is his ability to take and engineer the Ram team backwards. When he walks into Los Angeles, you know, Jared Goff is the first pick overall in the draft. He played in a, a, a West in a in a spread attack. He was in shotgun, didn't really understand protections and all that. And what McVeigh was able to do and it was calculating on how he built this football team in terms of he got a left tackle that he desperately needed. Some people thought they overpaid for the left tackle, but he needed that. He worked around the offensive line. He built a running game around Todd Gurley. And then he this allowed Jared Goff to run an offense that was much conducive to what he can do. It's not a straight drop back attack. They get double teams quite often. And what you see with Goff is his ability – to throw the football and the pockets clean. And I think that McVeigh learned how to be different in his thought process. I mean, it would have been so easy for McVeigh to walk into Los Angeles and say, I'm going to run the West Coast offense. But let's face it, Jared Goff's not a West Coast quarterback. And so what he did was develop an offense that tailored around what Goff can do. And even though they only run about five run plays and they have about 12 passing concepts, they do it so well and they made Goff a better player. What do you think that great Walsh would think of McVay, you know, as a uh, sort of a coach and an offensive schemer? Oh, I think that Coach Walsh would uh, absolutely just love Sean McVay's ability to remember plays. Walsh was another one who could remember plays. He could go back in time and tell you about games when he was at Cincinnati. I can remember sitting on team buses and have him start drawing plays that happen in games at the drop of a hat. I mean, he had just an incredible ability to, to remember because now remember when Walsh was coaching, we didn't start to go to video to beta cam tape until 1985. So most of his career was spent on 16 millimeter. And there was very, you know, the teams didn't have a lot of it. You know, you had three game tapes. And so after practice, Roy Gilbert used to get in his car. Imagine this, Peter. He would get in his car after practice and he would drive the, the projection to Walt Porup's office, which was in Berkeley. From Redwood City, he would drive to Berkeley. He would wait for Walt Porup to develop the tape, and then he would drive it back to Redwood City. Now, if you try to do that today, there's been that that you need a helicopter to get over the bridge and back. That would be a seven-hour trip today with traffic in the Bay Area. So, you know, Walsh didn't have the ability to see this tape constantly like McVeigh did, but his memory was just as good. And I think he would be impressed with his intellect. I think that's the one thing Coach Walsh was always about, was the intellect of the coach. He never liked screamers and yellers. And I think I was talking to a TV personality who meets with coaches quite often, and he was saying that so many coaches just talk about how we got to play harder and play tougher. And Coach Walsh was never about that. He was always about how could I make this team play smarter. And I think that's why he would like Sean McVay so much. McVay's 33 and Belichick is 66. There's never been that age gap in a Super Bowl, uh, you know, between the coaches. Do you think that matters? I mean, what what does what does the age gap mean, if anything? Uh, you know, the difference in age to me it proves this long-standing point that I've always believed in my entire career in the NFL: that players only respect knowledge. Players don't give a crap if you're 20 years old. Or if you're 90, if you're Tom Moore, who's 70 coaching Peyton Manning, or if you're Sean McVay, 31 coaching Robert Woods, it doesn't matter. It's your knowledge that they gravitate to. And 
the one thing about the NFL that I think is it's it's it has no real when it comes to players and coaches it has no real prejudice in terms of the development it's all about who can make me a better player who is going to teach me how to become a better player and once you do that once you hit that nerve then you capture your audience tremendously and I think McVay at 33 when he walked into the Rams at age 31 he had the intelligence to capture the audience I know when Belichick walked into the the Cleveland in 1991, he captured the audience completely. He was all about what he believed in, and the players knew it. They knew he was smart. They understood he could do things, and he was very quick to teach them about the game of football. And so, to me, age doesn't matter. If you're a young coach, to me, the message to learn from these two coaches completely in different directions, it's all about your intellect. And you have to keep getting better. I think the great thing about Belichick that people often overlook because Brady has been the deodorant for all the changes that have happened in the Patriots organization is Belichick's willingness to be adaptive and creative and change. I mean, you know, they're they're now one of the few teams running two backs in the backfield. I mean, they've become the Stanford of the NFL. They run an offense that teams just aren't ready to play with. I think the the Rams have played like 14 snaps all season against two back teams. I mean, I don't know how you practice to play the Patriots two back because most teams don't. Like Stanford, you can't prepare for it. So I, I think there's a lot of that 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 goes into it. But it's the gap age; it's insignificant. I mean, Belichick may talk about Snapchat and Instagram and not know it, but the players could care less about that. They care about who's going to make me a better player, and who can I help, and who's going to help me win, and who's going to help me get my next contract because he's making me a better player. That is all that matters. All the talk in the media, all that is insignificant. It comes down to when the doors get closed in the room, what comes out of the coach's mouth and how smart that coach is, that's what really matters the most. Mike, obviously you've known Belichick for a long time. You just finished working for him at some length up in Foxborough. How do you think his defense, and whatever form it'll take, how do you think his defense will play against McVay's offense. I mean, what do you view as the key things for the New England defense? Well, I think when you play the Rams, you can sit there and say, I'm going to stop the run, and you can stop the run, and they can still beat you. I mean, there was a time where if Todd Gurley didn't touch the ball 17 times in the running game, the Rams struggled to win. However, they've been able to work around that. And then you could say, well, I'm going to stop the passing game. And, you know, they'll run the ball on you like they did last week or two weeks ago uh, against the Cowboys. So I think Belichick's approach is going to be a little bit different. I think he's going to try to say in this game, we've got to play from in front. I think the best way to attack the Rams is to try to get the game to where they have to become a drop back pass team. Now, the Saints did that. They got up 35-17 on them, and then they came roaring back. They were up 35-14 with about 26 seconds to go in the half. And naturally, this, they gave up a field goal at the end of the half, and then the Rams eventually tied the score. So you've got to be very good in pass protection. But I think the number one area that the Patriots will want to attack the Rams will be they want to get into the paint on Jared Goff. I think that's going to be the critical component here. In the paint, for me, is a terminology that if you, rem- if you think of a basketball court, the rim is where the quarterback is, and the foul line is where he sets up. And in the paint is that area 
exactly like in the basketball court, in that paint. And when you can get people in there around Goff and around his feet and around his body, then I think that's the key to having success against him. And I think eventually that's going to be part of the game plan. I think he's going to want to play from in front. He's going to want to get into the paint. He's going to want to jam Brandon Cooks because I think they're going to want to reroute. Now, I think the dangerous thing about this game goes back to the last game. Is the NFL going to take the attitude like they have all playoffs and just let them play? Or are they going to come back and say, we blew the call in New Orleans, so we're coming back and we're going to be nitpicking in the game? I think that's going to be critical. If they're nitpicking in the game, this game will be a high-scoring game. If they let them play, it won't be as high-scoring as people suspect. So I think that's going to determine really how it goes. And I think in the first quarter, both coaches are going to need to know how this game is going to be called and what else and what else they can determine by the call that didn't happen in New Orleans because there is going to be an after effect of that call. So, Mike, I'll give you an open-ended question to finish. What is there anything else from Gridiron Genius in your mind that's applicable or, or could come into play on Sunday, that just, I mean, maybe it's nothing, but but what comes off the top of your head if there's something else in this book that you think might be significant? Well, I think Gridiron Genius is applicable in this game as it is in every game in terms of game management. One of the chapters in Gridiron Genius that I wrote about is is the things that drive me crazy when I watch games on television. And I think that that this is a perfect example of it. I mean, I think Romo and Jim Nance will do an incredible job uh, of understanding it. But last week, for example, the reason the, the Patriots were so successful in running the football in nickel is because the 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 Ram the, the Chiefs try to play their nickel front. If the Rams play their base nickel front against this team, uh, and James White's able to run the ball in nickel. You know, we need to know that. They're in nickel. I like to know what the defense is in. If the Patriots are in two backs, are the Rams in nickel? Or are they going to go back to their two two are they going to go back to their base defense? They don't play much base defense. And the other factor is we have to be able to understand what's man and what zone. The Rams earlier this season played a lot of a lot of man to man and got burnt. And midway through the season, they just basically said, no, we're going to go back and be a cover three team. So really what Wade does is play under cover one, under cover three. And I think what we'll see is that, and I think we need to know that. So the other part of game management is is the what I call the middle eight of the game, which we talk about in Gridiron Genius, which is the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. That middle eight often determines outcomes of game. Now, we know the final four minutes of each half determines pretty much the game. But these two teams are remarkable in the sense that they finished third overall, the Patriots, in in first half point differential, and the Rams finished fourth in first half point differential. Typically, teams that are one and two, teams that were one and two this year were Chicago and, and Kansas City, in first half point differential. What that means is you're playing with the lead. You're playing from in front. The other thing that's remarkable about this game that that I that we talk about in Gridiron Genius is Canadian football. Canadian football for me is how do you get first downs and two downs? If you go back and look at the Rams this season, you'll see that they're in very few third downs. They don't have a lot of third downs because they're so good at Canadian football. They're the best team in the National Football League in converting first downs and two downs. You know who's second, Peter? 
That's right, the New England Patriots. They're second in converting first downs and two downs. That's really important. Now, to me, where I think Gridiron Genius will show up on the field in Atlanta on Sunday will be what I call the four-point plays, which I just can't understand, and I wrote about it in the book, how the NFL hasn't taken this opportunity to market four-point plays. I mean, the NBA has the three-point line. The NFL should have their four-point line. Now, four-point plays are third downs in the red zone. The Rams are one of the worst offensive teams in third downs in the red zone, even though they're the number one scoring team in football or the number two scoring team. So they don't convert third downs in the red zone. The Patriots are the number two first team in, in third downs in the red zone. They convert. And I think this game is going to come down to who wins the four point plays. The Saints win that game last week if they're able to convert those two four point plays in the first quarter into touchdowns and not field goals. That's eight points that they left on the field. And that's what I talk about in Gridiron Genius. And I think that'll really be applicable on Sunday. Mike, really enlightening. I really, really appreciate you taking the time uh, to uh, educate uh, the listeners, not only on Belichick and, and, and uh, you know, sort of how he might view this game, but just in general about a brilliant young coach in Sean McVay. Thanks. Thanks to my guests, Les Snead, Scott Hansen, and Mike Lombardi. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in my podcast series, such as my chats with Tom Brady, Roger Goodell, and Larry Fitzgerald. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the Peter King Podcast on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Sonos and Wix. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week for a very special post-Super Bowl night podcast. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.